Hallelujah. Such a powerful presence of God is here at the sanctuary this morning. One more time to all of our guests and friends that have joined us, whether live, in person, or online. We welcome you in Jesus' name. We are so glad that you're here. And I believe God wants to touch you and change your life today if you'll let him. Four verses of scripture, the book of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and I'm beginning with verse number 25, Luke chapter 15 and verse 25, preaching a message, a thought that was inspired by one of my pastoral mentors today. I thank God for people that can lead us, guide us, and show us the way. And you don't ever get to a place in life where you don't need those voices and you don't need those people. Amen. The book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter 15 and verse 25. Now, his older brother was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. Look at your neighbors say, sounds like a party. And so he called one of the servants and he asked this question. He said, what, what do these things mean? He asked what these things meant. And he said to him, the servant replied and said, your brother has come and because he has received the father has received him safe and sound your father has killed the fatted calf but he was angry the bible says the older brother was angry and would not go in therefore his father came out and pleaded with him i i'm drawing inspiration the theme of this message comes as I were preaching a response to the question of the older brother. This message is a response to the question of the older brother and a question that may pop up and crop up in our minds once in a while. That question the older brother asked, what's all this about? What's up with this celebration? Why is everybody shouting, dancing? Why is everybody acting so loud? He came in, he said, what means these things? And I just want to preach to you this morning simply this. We celebrate. We celebrate. Now, we did this already in the service. We celebrated just a few minutes ago those people who had been filled with the Holy Ghost, seven people in the last week and a half to two weeks that have been filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of their sins. But would you help me start this message by just clapping your hands and lifting a voice of praise and celebration to God one more time before you're seated. Let's give him praise right now. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody lift up your voice and shout to God. Hallelujah. Oh, I think we can do better than that. Why don't you clap your hands and lift up your voice and shout to God. A shout of celebration and a shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving my family. Thank you for your gifts. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Turn around, high-five somebody before you're seated. Tell them, we celebrate. How about you? <clears throat> Tell them, say, we celebrate. How about you? You can be seated in Jesus' name.
Scripture makes it abundantly clear that God loves to celebrate. From Jesus' very first miracle that took place at a marriage celebration, a feast, a party, if you will, in Cana of Galilee, to the celebration all the way back in the beginning that God told Job occurred when the world was created. We know the Bible says God created and then he rested, but God told Job when Job started asking God some questions, God looks at Job and he says, Job, where were you? It's in chapter 38 of the book bearing Job's name. He said, God said, where were you, Job, when the, the morning stars sang in concert together? And where were you when the sons of God all shouted together in joy for creation? It's a reference to the celebration that took place when the world was created. How many know we live in a beautiful world? I know our world is plagued with problems, but we live in a wondrous world. I know people have messed it up, but we live in a tremendous world that God has created. In fact, Isaiah declares that all of creation declares the glory of of God. Isaiah 55, the mountains and the hills uh, shall break forth before you with singing, and the trees in the field will clap their hands. In other words, uh, Isaiah said, we're not the only ones singing and clap on our hands, but creation also celebrates the wondrous works of God. Now, you may come to church this morning, and you may picture God as this somber, stoic potentate up in the sky. Maybe this uh, serious uh, authoritarian figure with his arms folded up in the sky that never cracks a grin or cracks a smile. But the reality is the exact opposite. God loves a good celebration. Scripture lets us know that the Lord loves a good party. In fact, so much though that when he gave his people, the Jews, the law, woven deep into the fabric of their everyday life were multiple parties and celebrations that they were mandatory to participate in. God made sure that they had some celebrations of joy and that they had some festivals of, uh, of, of parties and, and, and joyfulness over the things that God had done and over the things that God would do. Now, we call these the feasts of Israel. We read in the Old Testament they had these feasts or these holidays, these celebrations. God instituted these feasts, and he mandated these times of celebration to happen annually on the calendar, multiple times throughout the calendar year. The Jewish calendar was marked with several celebrations. The three prominent celebrations that we know of are first the Feast of Passover. It was a celebration that God had brought them out, and it was really more of a somber celebration because it was a celebration that God crushed their enemies and thank God that he can still crush your enemies Pentecost was another celebration. Pentecost uh, looked forward to the birth uh, of the church. And then there was also the Feast of Tabernacles. And that was when they were required to move out of their homes and they were required to move into tents or temporary dwelling places to remind themselves uh, that we are strangers. Uh, we are pilgrims just passing through. 
That, that We get comfortable in our creature comforts in our homes. Uh, but understand, God made these people move out of their homes once in a while. Don't worry, pastor's not getting ready to institute a new ministry or a new program of the church uh, where we all go live in tents for a week or two. But I'm just telling the Old Testament, God told them, I want you to live in tents at least once a year. I want you to move out of your comfortable dwelling place uh, to remind yourself uh, the spiritual significance is uh, not to get too comfortable in this world because we are just passing through. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. It was on each of these occasions that every single person, every male, the Bible says, in the book of Deuteronomy, everybody in the book of Nehemiah, they were to leave their places and they were to go to these places of corporate celebration where everybody would come together and celebrate. In fact, the Feast of Pentecost that we read about in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come and a rushing mighty wind, it was, it was all of that that was taking place during this time. It was the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost. The, the Feast of Passover and even the Feast of Tabernacles were a bit more somber. But Pentecost was always uh, tied to celebration. In fact, Pentecost was also tied to giving. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy that during the Feast of Pentecost, they were all to bring a free will offering to the Lord. This wasn't their regular tithe. It wasn't their regular offering. But all those that celebrated the Feast of Pentecost were to bring a free will offering out of their house. There wasn't an amount. There wasn't a percentage. It was a free will offering that God mandated that every household bring and in celebration of what God had done and what God was going to do. Now, here's what's interesting to me. You, when they celebrated these feasts and these parties, you didn't have the option of opting out. You didn't have the option of folding your hands and saying, I'm not emotional. You didn't have the option of saying, well, you know, that's really not my thing. That's not my, that's not my cup of tea. It was mandated by God that everybody celebrated, that everybody rejoiced. Think about that. Now, let me just speak to those that maybe Maybe the passion of Pentecost uh, grates on you a little bit, or maybe I, I doubt there's anybody here like that today. Uh, probably nobody attends our church like that at all. But let me just speak to somebody that maybe will watch this video online, and, and maybe this will minister to them, okay? Maybe somebody who says, well, that's really not my cup of tea. I'm really not an emotional person. I'm more of an intellectual person. What God was trying to teach his people from the beginning page of Scripture is that they had to involve both their emotional nature and their spiritual nature. That their emotional man was to get involved and their spiritual man to get involved. Now, now maybe you maybe you fold your arms this morning and you're you're an unpassionate, you're an elitist. You think, man, I just all that emotion is really not uh, for me, and that's really not my thing, and I don't really do stuff like like that. I'm more of an intellectual. I think things through. I think you ought to consider that historically, the Jews, the people of God, were among the most intellectual, and were and are among the most intellectual, the most educated, and some of the most successful people on planet Earth. 
yet their religion was filled with celebration. Their religion was filled with dancing and singing and clapping and jumping. They would spin around. They would run around. They would shout out loud. That was who they were. I'm preaching to somebody today. You can be Pentecostal and intellectual. You don't have to check your brain at the door to serve God. Let me say it again. You don't have to check your brain at the door to serve God. He wants you to worship him in your body, your soul, your heart, and your mind. God wants you to worship him with everything. I come against that lie, that, that human lie, that, well, it's this or that. We don't have to have this or that. We don't have to have dignity and be refined or have powerful moves of God and celebratory times. We can have this and that. God wants us to have both. Well, I've heard him say over the years, it's not all in the shout and the dance. You're right. It's not all in the shout and the dance. Sometimes it's in the quiet reflection and meditation on God's Word. Sometimes it's in the sweeping and praying. Sometimes it's in all these different ways that God's moves. It's not all in the shout. It's not all in the dance. But it's not all in the sit and stare either. Well, look at your neighbor and say, you ought to celebrate a little bit. The very word that God used in the book of Deuteronomy to describe the word Pentecost, the, the descriptive words of, of Pentecost, to rejoice, it literally means to brighten up, to cheer up, to, to be gleesome, to be cheerful, to be merry. In other words, God expects and God even mandated and commanded joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen some folks stroll into church on Sunday morning that did not get that memo. I've seen some folks walk up in here before that they did not get the memo that God commanded and mandated that they have some joy in their life. Some folks walk up like they've been sucking on sour lemons all day. Man, they got, they got their pouted lip out and their arms uh, folded. Even They don't have their arms folded physically. They got their arms folded spiritually. You can just sense it off them. I mean, they're, they're like Oscar the Grouch walking into church. Uh, we ought to have some joy about living for God. We ought to be able to celebrate living for God. Let me tell you, celebration is part of the DNA of this church. It's a part of our apostolic DNA. I thank God that we're a part of an established church. I thank God that the Sanctuary Quad Cities is an established church. I've got dear friends. Their churches struggle to get by. I know people that they have very limited ministries in their church and very limited ministries to their family in their church, and their church just kind of struggles and limps along. We are blessed to be part of an established church uh, with a multiplicity of ministries uh, and activities and functions uh, and ways to minister to the family. 
We have, we have a missional culture in our church. And that missional culture is an extension of the mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he commissioned his disciples to go and preach and baptize and to make disciples of everybody that they could. The mission of Jesus was to transform sinners into saints and saints into disciples. And that is the mission of our church. The mission of our church, I preached about it a few months ago. It is clear. The mission of our church is an extension of the mission of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to lead people to know Jesus personally. Our mission is to lead people to grow in Jesus purposefully. And our mission is to lead people to then get involved in ministry and show Jesus passionately. This is an extension of the the mission that Jesus Christ gave the disciples. And so we celebrate. Why did we do what we did this morning? Because in the first part of the service, because we celebrate when someone repents of their sins. We celebrate when someone is baptized in Jesus' name. In fact, we're going to start celebrating. When that happens, I pray it's every single Sunday. When that happens, we're going to have on the following Sunday a celebration where we celebrate lives being changed. We celebrate hearts being transformed. When somebody receives the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, uh, we're going to celebrate. When their sins are washed away, we're going to celebrate. It was in author Tom Rainier's book, his book, The Autopsy of a Deceased Church, where he makes the statement, he makes the claim that the dying churches, that churches that die, the autopsy of a deceased church reveals that the lack of spiritual new births eventually leads to spiritual death. I don't believe that we're going to have a lack of spiritual new births, but just to make sure, we're going to start celebrating the new births around here. We're going to start intentionally rejoicing over God changing people's lives. Jesus came to seek and to save, and we want to celebrate too. But not everybody celebrates. Not everybody gets happy about the lost being found. Not everybody gets happy about the prodigal coming home. The Pharisees had a problem. They had bad theology. And their bad theology put them at odds with Jesus. Their bad theology, they thought they had this picture of God that God could not wait to punish these people who were in sin. That God was just anxiously waiting to punish them. God was just anxiously waiting. He couldn't wait to destroy sinners. The opposite was true. What God was waiting on was their repentance. Now, will God judge sin? Absolutely, he will judge sin. But God's not sitting around licking his chops, uh, rubbing his hands, saying, oh, I can't wait till I can bust them, man. I can't wait till I can bust them. Boy, they've been messing around playing games for so long. I can't wait to smack them down. I'm going to put them through so much pain, and I can't wait to send them to hell. Now, there might be some ignorant people like that. But that's not God. You know what God's doing? He's saying, I just can't wait till they repent. I can't wait till they get their life right. I can't wait till they give me an opportunity to help them. I can't wait until they release me to forgive them. I can't wait. 
That's why the Pharisees got mad when Jesus messed with tax collectors. And when Jesus messed with some of these people that he reached to, they got so mad because these were categorically corrupt people. And they said, how can you reach for them? They, again, had bad theology. They thought if this is really God, he should be looking forward to punishing them. And yet Jesus was extending mercy to them. What they messed up on is they had this false idea that God was smiling and nodding in approval when their self-righteous self strolled in on a Sunday morning and sat down on the church pew or the church chair in their sanctimonious pride and, and just folded their arms like they were all that and two bags of potato chips. They, they, they thought when they came in and sat down, they were really the stuff. And they thought when God saw them walk in, that God was just... Oh, my goodness, I am so glad they're here. Oh, if it wouldn't have been for you walking in, I don't even know if we could have had church today. But they had it wrong. Is God happy over the people who are saved and in the fold? Absolutely. But the Bible says heaven rejoices when one sinner that is far off walks into the house. That's what makes heaven rejoice. That's what heaven celebrates. And so Luke chapter 15 is the record of Jesus trying to correct their bad theology. And he uses three stories to correct their bad theology. The first one was the story of the lost sheep. Everybody say the lost sheep. Now the lost sheep we find in verses 3 and 4 of Luke chapter 15, and I'll skip around, won't read these all of these verses, but he told them a parable of a man with a hundred sheep and one was lost. And he said, does not a good shepherd, in verse 4, he says, doesn't he leave the 99? Let me tell you what good shepherds do. Good shepherds spend their resources and their energy going after the one. Hello. You know what good shepherds do? It's the same thing that good church leaders do. And it's the same thing that good productive church members do. Well, they spend some effort going after the one. Ooh, Holy Ghost. <laughs> Good church leaders and good church members don't demand that the shepherd come by and pat them on the head every Sunday. They understand our purpose is to go after the one. They don't get frustrated. They don't get offended when the shepherd doesn't shake their hand or another church member don't shake their hand. They understand it's not about me. I'm all right. I'm in the fold. Well, can I just say it? If somebody not shaking your hand on a Sunday is going to cause you to be lost, I got news for you, honey. You are probably going to be lost anyway because there's something a little deeper going on there. That Good shepherds and good church members and good church leaders, you know what they're doing? They're saying, where can I get to the one? I'm, the rest of us, we're going to be all right. Shake my hand or walk by me, I'm going to be all right. But there are some sheep that are outside of the fold that need to come back home. Woo! <laughs> And then in verse 5, he said he found the sheep, and he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. He calls together, watch this, verse 6. He calls together all of his friends and his neighbors, and he says, rejoice with me. And it wasn't their sheep. 
It wasn't their investment. It wasn't their thing. He just said, I want you to rejoice with me because what was lost has been found. He calls all his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. It is biblical that we rejoice together. And then he says, likewise, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. Now think about this with me. He throws a party for the whole neighborhood. How much do you think that little sheep cost? How much is a little sheep? I've paid for a few birthday parties. I know how much they are. You with me? How much is a little sheep? You know what he probably did? He probably spent a whole lot more money on the party than he did on even replacing the What we are seeing is Jesus communicate to the Pharisees uh, the value system of heaven uh, was different than their value system. Uh, God says, I'm going to go all in and celebrate uh, when one sheep comes home. Uh, it's going to cost us something, uh, but there's going to be a celebration uh, because we've got a lost sheep that is back in the fold. And so what do we do at the sanctuary? We celebrate when the lost is found. We celebrate when the lost is coming back home. We celebrate when a sinner repents. We celebrate. I got to hurry. The second parable he told these Pharisees trying to straighten out their bad theology was the parable of the lost coin. Now the lost coin, the Bible says, and you find it in verses 8 through 10, there was a woman with 10 silver coins. She loses one coin. It says she lights a lamp and sweeps the house in a careful search to find it. She finds it. It doesn't say how long she searches. She just keeps searching. There's no expiration date on our search. If they're lost, we're going to keep searching. If they're lost, we're going to keep praying. If they're lost, I'm going to keep preaching. If they're, as long as they're lost, uh, we're going to keep having moves of the Holy Ghost. Uh, as long as there's somebody lost, uh, we're going to keep doing what we do until we find every lost coin. He sweeps the house. She sweeps the house. Uh, and then here's what she does too. The same exact thing. She calls her friends and neighbors together. And here it is again. Rejoice with me. Somebody say rejoice with me. Look at your neighbor say, rejoice with me. She says, rejoice with me because I have found what was lost. Both the shepherd and the woman sent out a massive invitation list and said, let's celebrate because something that was lost is back home. Something was lost. It's okay to celebrate with one another. That's where I'm going. <laughs> The Bible says what? Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice, right? If you got a spirit that when somebody's weeping, you're blowing your party favor and rejoicing, you got a bad spirit. If you're going, ha, 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 serves them right, when something bad happens to them, you got a bad spirit. Well, that's what they deserve, acting in, 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 in. No, we weep with those that weep, and we rejoice with those. 
It's good to rejoice with one another when good things happen. To I want you to be blessed. I want good. Th- I want God to do great things in your life. I want God to do great things in your family. We would come celebrate together. That's what she said. And the third and the final parable. It's the story of the lost son, the lost boy, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost boy, all in the same discourse to the Pharisees. The Bible says in verse 11, there was a certain man who had two sons. And the one son came to the father and said, give me the portion of good that follows me. And, and, and the Bible says he gathered all of his things. He demanded his inheritance. And the next verse says he wasted his inheritance on riotous living or living without any moral constraints. And then there came a deep famine in the land, the next verse says. He spends everything the father gifted him. Then there's this famine in the land, and he starts to hurt a little bit. He's, he's feeding pigs, the Bible says. He's feeding pigs, and he's so hungry, he starts trying to eat their food. He's in the slop and the mess and the waller with the pigs. And he's so desperate. And the Bible says in verse 17 that he came to himself. He came to himself. Something clicked in him. He was in pain. He was suffering, and something clicked in. Ooh, here, Pastor, this morning. I fear sometimes that in our effort to show love to prodigals, we enable them and prolong the work of the Spirit in their life. If God's trying to make them hungry, don't try to feed them and make them comfortable. If we're not careful, should we love him? Absolutely. But there's a big difference between loving somebody and enabling somebody. There's a massive difference between love and approval. I can love you and completely disapprove of what you're doing. That's how Jesus does with us when we're in sin. That's where the Pharisees got messed up. They wanted him to hate sinners, hate those bad sinners. No, he said, I love them. I disapprove. I hate what they're doing. We got to be very, very careful. If you enable prodigals by making them continually comfortable and make them feel like they're not as far as they are, it might be that you actually prolong the work of the Spirit trying to make them hungry and send a famine in their life to bring them back home. And so he arises and he says, I will go to my father's house. And I will say unto my father, I've sinned, there's repentance. He says, I'm going to confess and repent. I have sinned before heaven and before you, verse 19. And he says to his father, I am no longer to be called your son worthy. He says, make me. Somebody say, make me. You know what a repentant spirit does? When he left the father's house, demanding what was his, he said, father, give me. But when he comes crawling back to the altar, he says, Father, make me. A give me spirit identifies you with somebody that's on the way out. A make me spirit identifies with you that somebody is about to be restored back to sonship. 
I'm preaching. Oh, we, we can't treat church like that. Can I, can I pastor just a minute here? Uh, we can't treat church like that. Uh, well, what this church, what's this church going to give me? What's this church going to do for me? I understand there's an element of that uh, for every family and every individual, uh, but we better be very careful that we don't come to God with a constant give me, give me, give me attitude uh, because a give me attitude uh, will always lead you to a place far from the Father. But a make me attitude says, uh, I am not worthy to even be called your son. I repent. Make me get no more. Give me no more. Make me one of your servants. Make me whatever you want me to be. A repentant heart is a heart that comes to God and says, God, make me whatever you want me to be. Oh, someone out lift their hands right now for a minute and say, God, make me whatever you want me to be. Come on, somebody lift up your voice and say, God, make me whatever you want me to be. Come on, that's it. God doesn't owe me anything. The only thing God owes me is a quick trip to a real hot place. That's the only thing God owes me. I am not good enough on my best day to deserve anything but that. So I come to him and my spirit says, God, make me. And I got good news for you. The father sees him coming a way off and he's waiting on him and he runs to meet him and he throws his arms of compassion around him. He embraces him and he welcomes him home and instantly the son starts his speech, his, his rehearsed speech. It was from his heart. I don't belittle it at all. It was from his heart. He had rehearsed it in the pig pen of life and he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He said, just, just make me one of your hired servants. But the father said, no, I'm not restoring you to servanthood. I am restoring you to sonship. Get the robe. Get the ring. Get the fatted cat. If you will let God truly restore you after you truly repent, God is able to fully restore. God doesn't want you to just be a servant. God wants you to be a son and daughter in his kingdom. God won't just restore you to service. God will restore you to sonship. Come on, can I say that again? If you'll let God do a full work of restoration, restoration requires repentance. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. It requires repentance. You know the problem with some folks, why they can't repent? You know why some folks can't repent? Because they're more interested in just sweeping it under the rug. And they claim they're putting it under the blood. But there's a massive difference between sweeping it under the rug and putting it under the blood. When you put it under the blood, you repent and you change. You have a repentant heart, mind, and spirit, and there is a change in your life. When you sweep it under the rug, you just don't want to deal with it. You don't want to do the work that it requires to change. You don't want to let God change you from the inside out. Real repentance doesn't mean you sweep it under the rug and ignore it. Like we don't talk about Bruno no more. No, because then you just get sicker and sicker. That's not what God requires. God's says put it under my blood through repentance and if you will repent 
if you will repent. God says, I'm not going to restore you just to servitude. I'm going to restore you to sonship. You're going to be my child. You're going to be my son. You're going to be my daughter. Be seated for just a minute. He says, here's the, here's the robe. Here's a, all three of these stories are about something lost that's recovered and the massive celebration that happens because of the recovery. But then, with this last story, like a good author would pin at the last chapter of the book, there's a plot twist. There's a complete shift in the narrative. And we, we see the surprise of the scribes and Pharisees. You can see the scribes and Pharisees as you read this almost just listening so intently to what Jesus was telling them. They're hearing the heartbeat of God. They're hearing the heart of God in these parables. His passion for the one that is lost. And he says, now the older brother was in the field and he came and drew near the house. And he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of his servants, and he said, what do these things mean? In other words, he said, what's with the party? What, what's with the celebration? What's, it, it's not the feast of Passover. It's not the feast of tabernacles. It, it, it's, it's not the feast uh, of Pentecost. What is going on with all of this celebration? The reality is there wasn't one, but there was two prodigals. They were in different places, but they were both estranged from their father. They had their own different reasons, but they were both far from the father. The younger brother was a prodigal in a far country. The older brother was a prodigal in the father's house. The younger brother wasted his father's gift. The older brother wasted his father's opportunities. The, the younger brother, the younger brother was far from the father's house, but the older brother was far from the father's heart. I'm telling you what God's looking for and what is possible is that I can be in the father's house and I can have the father's heart. That I can worship in the Father's house and I can maintain the heart of the Father that looks for and longs for and loves lost things being found. God wants his heart to be our heart. God wants his mind to be our mind. And here's what the Father did. The Father went out. Thank God for the love of the Father. If that father would have been like some of our fathers, he would have just smacked that older brother upside the head. What is wrong with you, boy? Can you imagine how embarrassing that must have been? He's put this party together. He's got this massive celebration. Everybody's partying. Everybody's celebrating. And the older brother's pouting. He's mad. Why is he throwing the party for him? And the father has to leave the celebration to come out and reason with the older brother. And the older brother goes into his little diatribe. You never spent that money on me. You never killed a young goat for me. You never killed a fatted calf for me. You never let me wear the fancy clothes. You, you know what? It's the spirit of the older brother that always wants to nitpick. 
It's the spirit of the older brother that always wants to question the way the father spends his resources. It's the spirit of... It's the spirit of the older brother that always wants to criticize. Why do we spend that on those kids, those little snot-nosed little kids? Why do we have to do all that for them? Why do we got to spend that on those young people? Why why do we got to make this place nice for them? Why do we got to remodel this? Why do we got to fix that up? Why do... You know, the father was merciful because he could have just left the older brother on the outside looking in and he could have just forgot about it. But the father, get this, the father doesn't just love the younger brother. The father loves the older brother too. So wherever category you have been in or whatever category, God forbid, you may fit in, God loves the older and the younger brother exactly the same. The difference is the spirit of the the older brother is a joy kill, but the spirit of the father is that he is joyful. The spirit of the father is let's party. The spirit of the older brother is let's pout. (laughs) The older brother always has his arms folded. The older brother always has a scowl on his face. The older brother is always the one who you're trying to convince to get on board. The older brother is the always the one that you're trying to say, come on, celebrate. It's embarrassing the older brother's bad attitude. When everybody's celebrating and the neighbors are over and everybody's partying, it's the spirit of the older brother that wants to pout when he should be partying. And he even says it in his speech. He says, I've been serving you all these years. You've never thrown me a party like this. And in verse 30, he says, this son of yours came home. He doesn't even claim him as brother. He says, this is your son. This isn't my brother. This son of yours came home. (laughs) That was Cain's problem in the beginning. You know what Cain's problem was? He asked the the question. It was really a dumb question. There is such thing as a dumb question, by the way. So any, any, any teacher that made you feel good by saying, there's no such thing as a dumb question, they lied. <laughs> now, most of the time, if you're concerned about asking a dumb question, that's probably not a dumb question. Dumb questions usually come from the people who they don't even, they don't care, they just ask it, you know. <laughs> he says, this son of yours came in, and you did all of this. Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? It was a dumb question. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you are your sister's keeper. Your son came home. No, our son came home. God, give us a spirit of celebration uh, where it doesn't matter if I even know their name. Uh, If God starts blessing them over here in the altar, you know what? I'm going to celebrate clear back in the corner. Uh, And if God starts blessing them right here, you know what? The celebration uh, is going to reach all the way out into the lobby. Uh, And if God restores your family member, you know what? Uh, I'm going to start shouting and celebrating uh, with you uh, because that's what we do. Uh, We celebrate celebrate. We rejoice. We clap our hands. We lift our voice. We rejoice in the goodness of God. Somebody ought to clap your hands right now. You ought to lift up a shout of praise to your God. Look at your neighbor right now. Look at your neighbor right now. Turn to somebody. Say, I celebrate with you. 
Turn to somebody else. Say, I'm going to rejoice with you. Turn to somebody behind you. Say, God told me to celebrate with you. Come on. I wish you'd turn around high five two or three people and say, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to get happy when you get happy. Come on, I wish somebody would get up in their mind, would make up in your spirit. I'm going to celebrate because that's what God wants me to do. Somebody's got to make up their mind. I'm not going to get the attitude of the older brother. I'm not going to pout. I've come to party. I'm not going to pout. I've come to celebrate. I'm not going to get mad. I've come to rejoice. Oh, somebody ought to give him praise right now. Somebody ought to give God praise right now. Somebody ought to give God praise. Right now. Woo! <laughs> God didn't save you so you could be a powder. God didn't forgive you of your sins. So that you could just sit there sullen and soaking uh, and soaking uh, all Sunday long. God saved you and gave you the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Woo! You know why some folks can't get a smile on their face? Because they hadn't figured out what they're supposed to pout about versus what they're supposed to party about. You know what we pout about? We get upset when somebody's lost. We get sad when somebody's hurting. But when somebody's on a path of restoration, come here, Alec. Come here. You know what? You know what the father did? Stand right here, Alec. This, this younger brother, the prodigal, he's got his head hung down and he's walking back home. You know what the father didn't do? He didn't fold his arms and say, yeah, we'll see if he makes it. Just start slow walking, slow walking. Uh, yeah, we'll, yeah, well, he's come that far before, but he messed up again. We'll see. We'll see. No, stop right The Bible says the spirit of the father. He jumped up. Is that my boy? I've been waiting on this day. And he runs to him and he says, oh, welcome home. He's not even home yet. He's not even home yet. But he says, welcome home. Why? Because he knows he's on the path. He knows he's just got a few more steps. He knows that it's just a moment more. And he's going to be celebrating in the Father's house. It's just going to be another prayer. Just another service. And somebody's going to get happy. Woo! So I wonder. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. And you know what the lepers teach us? The lepers teach us that if you come back and celebrate, that there is a greater miracle released into your life. That there is a miracle tied to celebration. Woo. So I'm telling you here today, 
We're going to be a church that celebrates. We're going to... If you got the spirit of a Pharisee, you're not going to be very happy here. If you got the spirit of the older brother, this isn't going to be a very comfortable environment for you. If you got the spirit of the father, though, you're going to say, I'm right at home. It's party time because some lost people are making their way back home. And so we celebrate. So I wonder if you would help me celebrate these names again. And if you're here and you need the Holy Ghost, you can get the Holy Ghost today. If you've never repented of your sins, you can repent and be forgiven today. If you're here and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I'd love to baptize you in water today. You can leave here free from all of your sins. And so we celebrate Beverly Overturf, who was baptized in Jesus' name. We celebrate Emily Ramirez, that was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we celebrate Cindy Beeler, that was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we celebrate Doug Beeler, that was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we celebrate Gio, that was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we celebrate Dee, that was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we celebrate Layla, who was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, I wish somebody would just give God a praise right now. I wish somebody would just give God a praise right now and let Him work in your life. Come on, somebody praise Him. Somebody rejoice. Somebody give Him your offering of praise, your offering of worship. Hallelujah.